Good, huh? Thank you, Mitch, team, for leading us in worship. Again, if you're a guest here, welcome. Glad that you're here. Pray that God blesses you as we study God's Word together. I would like to pray over us as we look at God's Word together because one of the things we believe here at Fullness is that apart from the person and work of the Holy Spirit, we really can't understand the Word of God. That really there's an uncovering that takes place as a result of the Spirit of Truth uncovering truth for us. We can learn intellectually Bible stuff, but to understand spiritual truth, we need a spiritual mindset. The only way that comes is by the Spirit of God. So pray with me, if you would, as we look at God's Word and uh, together this morning. Lord, we thank you and pray that, Spirit of God, you would be present in this place as we know you already are. We ask that you would lead and guide us into all truth. Jesus, you promised us that if we lacked wisdom, we could come and ask. So we're coming and we're asking. Uncover for us the layers of the truth of the magnificence of the resurrection. Not only what was accomplished through the demonstration of God's power by raising Jesus, you from the dead, but how we are made alive as well. Show us today what that means. I pray for anyone here who doesn't already know Jesus as the one who rules their life and forgives their sins. Spirit of God, draw them to the name of Jesus. For those of us who do, Spirit of God, uncover this truth of who we are in you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the year 490 B.C., there's a battle that took place. Uh, The battle, if you had to rate it by a bracket standpoint, for those of you involved in March Madness, uh, the Persians were the number one seed headed in. And Greece was way on down the line somewhere. They would have been declared an underdog. But against all odds, the Greeks emerged victorious in this battle at a place called Marathon. And from there, uh, a runner by the name of Pheidippides, as legend has it, Pheidippides ran a little over 25 miles from Marathon to Athens to share with them the good news. And as he runs into the city of Athens to share with the leaders and the townspeople of Athens the good news, he crosses into their midst. He says one word, victory, and then he dies. Now, I I love this story, not because the guy dies, but because of the whole marathon uh, issue and running. I'll try to keep running stories to a minimum, but a number of years ago, the Saturday Review had a cartoon based on this event where they showed Phidippides running into the town. He comes across to the front of the people, and just as he's delivered his message, he says this, uh, uh, I forgot the message. Now, The point being this, he got so engaged in the running that he forgot why he was running. He got so engaged in the the 25 miles, he forgot all about the reason he was trying to get there in the first place. Sometimes in the Christian life, we're running really hard, but we're not really sure where we're headed or why we're doing it, and we've lost the message that God has instilled in each one of us. Dr. Howard Hendricks was a famous uh, professor for those in those circles at Dallas Theological Seminary. 
And one day he was asked to come teach his granddaughters. It was Palm Sunday. He was asked to come teach his granddaughters Sunday school class. So he goes into the Sunday school class and he says, does anybody know what today is? His little four-year-old granddaughter raised her hand. He said, yes, what is it? It's Palm Sunday. Dr. Hendricks was so proud of his granddaughter. And he goes, does anyone know what next Sunday is? Again, his granddaughter raised her hand. He said, yes, next Sunday is Easter, she says. Yeah, that's great. Now, does anyone know what Easter means? The little granddaughter raises her hand. She says, it's Easter because Jesus rose from the grave. And he is so proud, but before he can say anything else, she says, but if he sees his shadow, he has to go back in for seven more weeks. You know, that happens with us. I was kidding with my kids this week. One of them was saying, what are you going to preach on Sunday? So I thought I'd throw something out about the resurrection. (laughs) I mean, it is Easter after all. But you know what happens? Sometimes we hear it so often, it gets merged in with all this other stuff. And we lose this truth that should just cause us to fall down on our knees and say the gospel is too good to be true. We've been studying over the past weeks about boldness in the Lord. What does it mean to be bold in him? Peter is one of those incredible character studies. I mean, Peter was bold. Peter as a disciple was bold. I mean, before the resurrection, he was always, he was the one disciple who would say, Jesus, no, or Jesus, I'll never leave you, or cut off the ear of a servant of a high priest when they come to a, I mean, he was bold. But on the night of Jesus' crucifixion, Peter's nowhere to be found. He's already denied Christ. He's already run away. He's not, he's not there. On the morning when the women go to the tomb from Luke, where I read to you earlier that passage, it says when they came back from the tomb, they went to the tomb, they heard the angels say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. They come back from the tomb. They told all these things to the 11, that's the disciples that are still around, and to all the others. The women that went were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles, but... As we were just singing our hearts out, I believe, they did not believe. They did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. Did Peter say, he's risen from the dead, trampling over death by death? No, he went away wondering to himself what had happened. I mean, think about it. Peter's gone from bold to frightened to denying to now bewildered. He's headed toward guilty, feeling guilty. And eventually he's going to be restored by the forgiveness and grace of God. And in Acts 4.13, it says, when they saw Peter and John and the boldness 
they perceived they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished and they recognized they had been with Jesus. Listen, to me, the change that comes from a bold flesh Peter to a bold spiritual Peter is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It makes all the difference. We people are bold because we have a bold Savior. We serve a bold, risen King. On Good Friday of 1945, the famous pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer had been held in prison in Germany for two years. On this Good Friday, they came to get him, and he thought he was being released. But he was actually only being transferred from one prison to another. And as he went from this one prison to another, one of the guards looked at him because as they walked in, there were gallows, there were hangman's nooses outside the the new prison they were coming to. And one of the guards said to him, Bonhoeffer, this is the end. Bonhoeffer never wavered, and he looked at the guard. He said, no, this is just the beginning. You see, when we come to know the risen Christ, death, which is the ultimate fear, has no hold on us anymore. Death has lost its sting, we sang this morning. Why? Because we serve a risen God. Here's the truth that I believe we need to hear this Christmas. Easter, sorry. I want to see if you're awake, knew when you were here. We'll be passing out candles later. But... The truth I want you to hear this Easter is this. The gospel is unique to all other religions because it is not achieved, it's received. Are you with me? It's not something we do, it's something God did, God did for us. I want to look at a theological passage this morning. It's Romans 6. Romans 6, which is a rich, rich passage, and I just want to scratch the surface because I want to look at three truths about the resurrection. In Romans 1 through 5, Paul does a great job of outlining the gospel for us. Basically, the gospel is this. God has revealed himself to all men so that no matter who you are, where you are, if you're breathing, you are without excuse before God because in some way he's revealed himself to you. And there's nothing you can do to get to this God because all of our acts are like what? Filthy rags. That's the best. The best act you've got is like filth before God. We've all done things that are wrong. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wage for that, falling short, is death. But God, who is rich in mercy, has sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. So that our sins, no matter what they are, now, present, future, can be forgiven. And in this passage in Romans 6, after he outlines the gospel, he starts to look at a couple of arguments that people might have. And in this passage, he's going to basically say, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we are free, we are united with him, and we have a new identity. Now, you may think, well, those are three pretty simplistic points, that we're free, we're united with him. And listen, people, if we can get this truth 
into our hearts and into our lives right now this morning, it'll change the way we live forever. Forever. Because most of us in some way struggle with this. We're still battling, still battling this. So let's look at this passage together. And here's the first point about the bold Savior, the risen Savior. The risen Savior brings freedom. He brings freedom. Romans 6, let's look at one through, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Skipping to verse 6, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We've been set free from sin. Jesus brings freedom. Now, you may be thinking, what do I need freedom from? Well, according to what Paul has already said in Romans 1 through 5, we are all enslaved to sin. We're all enslaved to something. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, I, I listen, Pastor, I, I've done a thing or two wrong in my life. I may stumble, but I'm primarily pretty good. I'm a good person. I, I, I'm not really enslaved to sin. The Bible would differ with you. And here's the picture. Even if you're not a religious person, even if you don't believe in God, even if you're sitting here today and say, you know what, I, wonderful people love the songs, the pastor's relatively entertaining, but I really don't. I really don't believe in God, so I'm just here to be with my family or Every single person I would claim, and I think the Bible would back me up on this, would, it, you are, there is something in your life that gives you meaning. There's something in which you find significance. It could be career, could be family achievement or relationships. It could be financial, accumulating some sort of personal wealth. It could be your own personal independence or having other people dependent upon you. You're finding meaning and significance in something in your life. It could be power or influence or human approval or sexuality. It could be political causes. It could be physical attractiveness. It could, the meaning of your life even could be how miserable your life is. I mean, really, we all find meaning somehow. The Bible would say that the thing that gives you meaning is the thing you serve. Let me say that again. The thing you find in which you find significance or the thing that gives your life meaning is you're serving that because it is in turn giving you some sort of satisfaction or meaning. Paul goes so far to say that you are enslaved to this thing. You're enslaved to it. And by the way, what the Bible calls these things that give our life meaning to which we turn, the Bible has a term for them called idols. 
idolatry. They're the things we worship. They're the things we serve. We're the, they're the things around which our lives revolve. And really, the Bible says, any idol you set up in your life and serve that thing, that thing is a sin. So I'm back to point one. We all have something that gives us meaning. For all of us, that thing that gives us meaning is the thing we serve. The thing we served, we're enslaved to, and if it's anything other than God, it's sin. We're back to square one. We are all sinners. And therefore, we are all, according to Paul, enslaved to sin. That thing is your spiritual master. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. In other words, it's, rain, it's ruling, it's reigning in your body. How do you know something is reigning in your life? You may be sitting there thinking, I don't know, I'm, Pastor, I'm a follower of Jesus today. I don't know that something's reigning in my life other than Jesus. Let me give you some indicators of how something might be reigning in your life and you don't even know it. Let's start with one of my personal favorites, anger. Let's say that that something was supposed to be funny, but you don't have to laugh at everything on this Christmas day. Okay. <laughs> if, something, if something blocks you from getting to where you want to be, a lot of us get frustrated at times we get anger because that frustration is keep, it's blocking me from achieving achieving this. But if something blocks the path on which you find your significance and ultimate meaning, you get beyond angry. You get infuriated. Things like unforgiveness, bitterness, rage into your life. Fear. Again, if there is a normal response, really, if something good in our lives is being threatened. There is, a, there is a concern that occurs. But if something ultimate is threatened in your life, you get paralyzed with fear. I mean, you can't think straight. You fall apart. You starting to get the picture a little bit? Sadness. There's a normal sadness that results in the loss of things. But if you get to a point where you, something ultimate is removed from your life, you want to end it all. To be in bondage to sin, we many times just trade one idol for another. In life, trying to move along. Say, oh, that really didn't give me significance. I'm going to move along to something else. And then I'm going to move to something. Well, money didn't really find me what I needed. So I'll have power, I'll have influence, I'll have a good family, I'll have... And so we all start to look for significance in other places. There's an old story told, an ancient story called The Dreamer. And in The Dreamer, there is this guy who finds, uses every opportunity to further himself, to make money. He's got a real entrepreneurial spirit, we would say. Uh, these days. One day he met a traveling man who told him about a faraway country that had never heard of and did not have onions. 
So the dreamer figures out that if I get onions there, I can make a lot of money. So he buys a whole cart full, a large cart full of onions. He takes it to this faraway land. After traveling a great distance, he gets an audience with the king and says to the king, I have this vegetable that when cooked and prepared will change the way all your food tastes. Well, the king is intrigued, so he sets up a banquet and all his people come to the banquet and the, the, the dreamer uses the onions and cooks the food, and the people and the king are overwhelmed. And they're like, we have never tasted food like this. And the dreamer says, well, surely the onions are worth their weight in gold. So the king says, they are. So he trades them the weight in gold for the onions. The dreamer goes back to his land, and he's thinking, what? this land is just rich with opportunity. So he spends his gold, part of it, And he buys garlic. He says, if they've never heard of onions, surely they've never heard of garlic. So he takes an even bigger batch of garlic to the faraway land and goes through the same thing again. You're going to love this. The king, he he sets everything up and they have a banquet and they love the garlic. And and, and the the dreamer is thinking, if they traded me gold for onions, they're going to give me diamonds for the garlic. The king gets with his people. They talk about, yes, surely this is worth more than gold. And so they pay the dreamer with the most valuable thing they have in their entire kingdom. And the dreamer goes back home with a cart full of onions. People, we're trading. We're just trading one idol for another. We're just trading one thing for another. True freedom only comes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He sets us free. He broke the power of these spiritual masters in our lives. Things that we can't break on our own, he broke for us and provides us with freedom. Second point is the risen Savior brings unity. Verses 4 and 5 said, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be what? What? What does the word say? United with him in a resurrection like his. Here's the great truth of the gospel. We're set free from sin by being united with Jesus. The word united, by the way, is an agriculture or horticultural term. Uh, when one plant is grafted into another, and usually, I, I'm not really big on agricultural stuff, but my, for my reading... When things are grafted, they're usually grafted up high. Like you graft one branch into the trunk or into a portion of a plant or a tree. This is an unusual term in that the plant is grafted at the root. It's grafted at the root. 
The Bible pictures it like this. The root of sin has been cut off in your life. Now that's, that's a good thing, correct? But you're now unrooted, so to speak. As a plant, you, you need something to give you life. And it's not as if God just cut off sin, uh, the roots of your life and threw you out on the ground. Better news, great news, is he cut off the root of your life and he grafted you into the root of Jesus. Hallelujah. So that the life we now live is not our life, but it's his life. I am the vine, you are the branches. We have to stay rooted in him. It's a powerful picture, and it's a picture that looks something like this, and this is not a great illustration, but it's the best I could think of. But let's say that you are a person who, through hard work, diligence, uh, your intellectual ability, just pure luck, you have achieved a great wealth. You're, You're a very rich person. But now you get married. Not really a but, but it's... Now you get married. The person who comes into the marriage relationship, they, according to the way the Bible paints and not with all the prenups and everything else going on in our world, they get the wealth that you now achieved. Why? Because through grace and a legal transaction, you two are one. Now I know it starts to fall apart a little bit in our day and age because we start thinking about all the protections of wealth and everything else going on. But in, in its picture, that's what happens with us and Jesus. He did everything. What do we get? We just get to enjoy the life with him. Why? Because we are united with him. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now where? Hidden with Christ in God. This is not a maybe proposition. This is who we are in him. For we've been united with him in a death like his. We'll certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like it. It is a certainty. This is why the gospel is such great news. You receive all the benefits of what Jesus did. I I mean, he did it all. You just get to receive the benefits. Here's what happens a lot of times. A lot of people come, want to think about coming to Jesus, but then they start thinking, what am I going to have to give up? What, what am I going to have to stop doing? Because really, Christianity is about stopping doing fun things, right? I mean, if I come, if I, I, I would rather live life and then eventually come to the church when I'm too old to do fun things. Something along those lines, you know, we, we think about it like that. What do I have to give up? Let me tell you, that is, a, that is not a gospel. I mean, that's not really good news, is it? What's good news? Oh, come to Jesus and you have to stop doing everything fun for the rest of your life. Because he frees you from your sin and he gives you these rules you now have to follow. No. You get to inherit the life of God. You you get to be grafted into the root that is Jesus. 
I must not be saying this really good. Because you should be really excited about this. You see, if, if the freedom from sin is a wonderful thing. Amen? I mean, really, it's a good thing to be free from sin. But there's got to be more than just freedom from doing bad things. And the gospel is this. You're not only free from doing those things. Now you get a life. You get united with Jesus. See, when the Bible talks about us getting more than all we can ask or even imagine, I can't really imagine being united with Jesus. But that's who you are. Let me move to the third point, and then I really want to try and bring it all home. The risen Savior brings identity. It brings identity. Do you remember earlier I was saying that there's something in your life that gives you meaning? Those are the things you serve. Those are the idols in your life. Those are the things that have mastery over your life. Listen, the gospel is this. Jesus frees you. He unites you with him. And in turn, he gives you a new identity. Here's where we find significance. Here's where we find meaning. Verses 8 through 14, this is, again, I'm skimming the surface of Romans 6 because it is rich theologically. But look at verses 8 through 14. Now, If we died with Christ, we believe that we also will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Makes sense, right? He was dead. Now he rose again. He can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. We looked at that last week. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. You have to remind yourself of who you are. You've got to continually remind yourself of who you are. We have died with him, meaning our old selves have died, and we're alive to God. So now it says, count yourselves. Count yourselves. Dead to sin, but alive to God. That means... Every moment of every day, reckon. It's a counting term. Reckon yourself dead to sin. Think about it more. There's this famous story about uh, the 4th and 5th century Saint Augustine. Augustine was quite a playboy before he came to know Christ. He was enslaved, really, to sexual sin. That's where he received a lot of his identity, that and being drunk and having parties, and he was a rounder. But then he comes to know Jesus Christ. One day after coming to Christ, not one day, but a day later, some days later, he was walking along, and one of his old mistresses came up to him, one that he had been especially attracted with. As a matter of fact, one he had at one time lived with comes up to him and starts calling for him. He ignores her. 
and just keeps walking. But she thinks to herself, maybe it's been a little while. Maybe he doesn't recognize me. And so she yells out to him, Augustine, it is I. And he turns and smiles at her and he says, yes, I know. But it is not I. You get it? Let me say it again. He recognized, it's no longer me. I am not the same guy. I am different. I have a new identity. For him, sexual sin was a master in his life. But now he's been set free. It's a new identity. Listen, you are someone else in Jesus. You're someone else. You're somebody new in him. The bold Savior gives you a bold new identity. How did Peter go from being Peter to being Peter? Saint Peter. Because of the boldness of his risen Savior. He saw the risen Jesus. He received what Christ had done for him. You know, for most of us, we wish the change was instantaneous, don't we? I was this, I am now this. Why is it that we so struggle with sin reigning in our lives? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has this unbelievably extensive commentary on Romans. He's got like 10 volumes on Romans 1 through 8. It's, it's very extensive. One of the things he uses in this passage is he says, imagine a country, an island country that's isolated from the rest of the world. And one people group totally oppresses another people group. Now, we don't have to imagine this too much, do we? I mean, we've seen it in our world around us. But for hundreds of years, one people group has totally oppressed another people group, told them where they could go, what they could do, what they could not do, everything. They've been oppressed for generations. But one day, a new king comes into power, and he replaces the old army with his army. He replaces the old judges with his judges. He replaces the old police force with his police force, and he says to the people, everybody is now treated equally. We are all one. Now, in theory, that sounds good, doesn't it? But in practice, it takes time for the old way of thinking to be driven away. You can be free, but not free. Right? Why? Because we have this way of thinking that constantly needs to be removed from our lives so that sin doesn't reign in our mortal body. Lloyd-Jones ends this illustration with this. Every Christian in this room is in that condition, meaning enslaved still to that bad way of thinking. He said, it's the only reason you do anything wrong. He's basically saying, we don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. Here's what I want us to see today. The resurrection was a historical, an historical event with eternal consequences. 
If you're not here today, if you're here today and don't know Jesus as the one who rules your life and forgives your sins, I want to encourage you. You can come today to him and be set free from sin. You can be united with Jesus. It's a mystery how this works. And he'll give you a new identity. No matter how you came into this room, you can go out of this room with a new name. A new name in Jesus Christ. And, and the gospel is so great, all you have to do is receive. You may say, well, surely i got to do something. No. It's not about you. It's about what he did for you. All you need to do is receive and confess. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Today could be that day for you. This could be the day you could be forever changed. If you're here today and you know Jesus as the one who leads your life and directs He's the Lord of your life. I want to say this to you. Let him be the Lord. Quit being the Lord of your own life. Know that you've been set free from sin. That you are really united with him. He did it for you. And you have a new identity. Keep reminding yourself, moment by moment, of who you are in him. John Stott. Excuse me, John Stott says, so in practice, we should constantly be reminding ourselves who we are. We need to learn to talk to ourselves and ask ourselves questions. Don't you know? Don't you know the meaning of your conversion and baptism? Don't you know that you have been united to Christ in his death and resurrection? Don't you know that you have been enslaved to God and have committed yourself to his obedience? Don't you know these things? Don't you know who you are? We must go on pressing ourselves with such questions until we reply to ourselves, yes, I know who I am, a new person in Christ. And by the grace of God, I shall live accordingly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for the truth of the gospel that we have been changed, radically altered forever by the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God, we thank you. We thank you. I want to pray right now, Lord, for those who may be here today that don't know Jesus as the one who rules their life and forgives their sins. They may know the stories about Jesus. They may have heard about the resurrection they may have heard all these things, but today, Jesus, I pray that they would come to know you in a real relationship. Spirit of God, draw them. If that's you today, I, I, I just want to encourage you to, in the moments ahead, to receive what Christ has done for you. And you can be made alive. You can be set free. No matter what. And Lord, I pray for those who are followers of yours, who, who don't act like it. In the sense, we're still battling. I pray that, Lord, we will battle forward. We keep reminding ourselves that we are your children. You've given us a new name. You've set us free. You've united us with yourself. 
thank you, Lord, for all of this. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, take your bulletin.